How many of you like your job? Okay. How many of you love your job? It's a dream job. Okay. Uh, I won't ask how many of you don't like your job. Okay. Because you may be working next to, you know, sitting next to your boss or, you know, and that, that's not never a good idea. But according to Gallup, um, really about 70% of Americans do not like their jobs. They use two words, hate and disengage. Those are strong words. About 70% of Americans hate what they do, and they've disengaged with, with their work. Now, you contrast that to the Canadians. Anybody from Canada in the room? How many Canadians do we have in the room? Canadians love their jobs. About 60% of Canadians actually like what they do. Any French people in the room? Parlez-vous français? Any French people? That's all the French I know. Anybody in the room French? Uh, 48% of the French like their jobs. They like what they do. They enjoy it. And they have a very high approval rating of their work. Well, I want to talk today about not jobs, but about work. Uh, We spend 57% of our time working. Now think about that. You spend 57% of your time working. In your life, that's a lot of time. Now, I'm not talking about jobs today because some of you in the room don't have a job, but everybody works. Some of you in the room maybe have retired from working from a job, but everybody in the room works. So, for instance, um, next door to us is a stay-at-home mom. She has four children. Do you think the woman works? You betcha she works. She works really, really hard. My dad worked 40 years for General Motors. He worked um, 18 years for the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, so the last two years, he has not worked a job for money, but he continues to work. And he continues to to raise a huge garden. My my brother's got a five-acre farm, and my, uh, my dad continues to work very, very hard. So you may have had a job. You may not have a job. You may be in retirement. But everybody in the room, everybody works. And so we've gone the whole year, and we've really not talked about work. And we come to a book today of the Bible that talks a lot about work. And the guy who talks about work... He lived as the king of Israel in peacetime. And because he didn't have to spend money on war uh, and war machinery, he spent a lot of time and a lot of money working. And he built palaces and he built homes. He built uh, vineyards. He planted gardens. And King Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, talks a lot about work. And so today, we're going to camp out and talk about not your job. That's part of it if you have a job. But we're going to talk about work because we all, we, we all work. Now, at the end of the message, I'm going to give you two steps. And they are so simple. They are so easy that I think we miss them. These two steps, however, if you put them into practice, you will be far more successful, far more prosperous, far more happy, and enjoy the work of your hands. But they are so simple, you're going to go, my gosh, you know, the boy went to Israel for 11 days and that's all he could come back with, you know? They are so simple, we miss these two steps. So let's jump in to the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's jump into the second chapter. And what happens is Solomon talks about work 
under the sun and work above the sun. Now, don't miss this. Because work under the sun, he says, is absolutely meaningless because work under the sun, it's all about you. And it's a dead end. It's all about your prosperity and all about your stuff and all about your little life. But he says life above the sun. Life above the sun represents kingdom principles. Life above the sun represents that which has an eternal purpose. So life and work below the sun... Oh, it's a dead end, and it's meaningless, and you're just churning, 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 and you're not going to really be happy. But life above the sun, you still may work very, very hard, but now you have purpose. And life above the sun, work becomes a means to an end about the kingdom of God and God's purposes. So here we go, life under the sun, life below the sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 17. Maybe. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. Now notice where the work was done. Where was it? Under the sun. Say that with me. Under the sun. Say it again. Under the sun. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and my skill. Where? Under the sun. This too is meaningless. And so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor. Where? Under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill, and they may have to leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. And what do people get for all the toil and the anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless." So here's the whole point of the book, the very next verse. It's the whole point of the message. How do you find satisfaction, not with your job, but with work? Here we go, verse 24. He says this, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink. And here's the point. He says this repeatedly throughout this book, find satisfaction, to find satisfaction in their own toil. But see, this too, I see. This too I've discovered. This too I realize it is all from the hand of God. And here's what he says. Without the hand of God on your work, you will be miserable. That's right. Just one more time. I want to read this. He says it several times. Chapter 3 says this. So I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? All right, we'll go back to chapter uh, 2 now. And again, I want to just repeat that one verse. This is the theme. Say it with me. Ready? Say it with me. Ready? All right, here we go. Ready? A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. All right, now verse 25 says this. For without him... Without God, 
without a perspective of life above the sun, without understanding that your life is bigger than you, you have a bigger perspective, you'll never get there if you don't see that. For without him, who can eat or even find enjoyment? Verse 26 says, To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. That's what you want, right? Everybody in the room wants that. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth, only to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, just a chasing after the wind. Well, we all know that God worked. We all understand that even God himself worked. And God put man to work. And so look at, look at where this starts in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And sometimes we get confused about this. We think, well, man works. God also works. Remember what Psalm 19 says? The heavens declare the glory of God, but the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And every time in Genesis, in that first seven, six days, we see that God spoke. God said, let there be, and there was. God said, let there be, and there was. God said, let there be, and there was. Look at the next section, Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He created male and female. God blessed them. He said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and rule over the birds in the sky and rule over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. Take out your bulletin. I want to give you a couple of real quick fill-ins. So what does this mean? Well, basically about four different words can be used in that section in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 30, about work. Here's the first one. The first one is the word cultivate. Now, what does it mean? We're to cultivate. We're to foster growth, and we're to make improvements. Some of you in this room, you are so good at this. You're so good at this. You have been able to foster growth. You've built something. You've made something. Something's grown because God has used you and the work of your hands, and you've made improvements. Some of you in this room, you are so skilled at making things better and better and better and better, and you have done those two things. You're fostering growth. You're making something better. You're making something bigger. You're making something more expand, and you're making these improvements. Number two, not only do you cultivate, but you maintain. Sometimes we just got to maintain. You preserve things from failure. Or you preserve things from decline. Some, some of you, you're growing some stuff, but some other things in your work area and in your life, you just need to keep from basically from declining or from creating some kind of chaos or from failure. Number three, you subdue things. You exercise control. 
and you exercise discipline, and, and it's your responsibility to make something happen. It's your hands, your brain, your opportunity, your position to actually to exercise control and to keep things like within the, the riverbanks. And, and number four, it's the great word to rule over. And many of you do this really well also. You take responsibility for and you make decisions. And you're in a position to make really good decisions. You're in a job where you need to make, or your work, whether you're a grandmother, a grandfather, no matter, you're in a position to make good decisions. Now, things were going along pretty well until the garden. And in the garden, we know that story. The day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of evil, you, you're going to die, and you're not to eat from that, and we know we ate from it, right? So here's kind of what happens. Adam and Eve are blaming each other and blaming the serpent. So here's what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of, cursed is the ground because of you. So what, what happens now is we just go from eating from the garden now to eating from the field. How many of you in this room have, have grown or, and you've eaten sweet corn that you've grown yourself? Sweet corn from your garden, okay? The same people. How many of you have tasted field corn from like a field that you feed to the cows? Is it as good? It's terrible, isn't it? Field corn is awful. We went from eating from the garden to eating from the field, okay? And we have challenges now. Work has more challenges today than ever, ever time in your life. Okay, let's keep going, Dad. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. We go from the garden to the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, here's our theme verse again. Our theme verse again today is finding satisfaction, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. Well, I want to share two more sections out of the book of Ecclesiastes, and then I want to give you, again, those two key steps. So just hang with me. But the first one is, is exactly what we all want. We all want wealth, and we all want prosperity, and we all want happiness. And the first section in the book of Ecclesiastes I'm going to share with you right now, it tells you basically how you're not going to get it, even though that's what you want, even though that's what God has in store for you, even though God wants to prosper you and God wants to bless you, you're not going to get it with life under the sun. So here's the first section we're going to talk about right now. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And strangers in, enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years. Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. And the context is, again, 
If it's all about you, if you think that work is about you, if you think work is supposed to just cycle back to you and it's not above the sun, you're going to miss it. And you're going to be frustrated and you're on that treadmill and you're never going to get anywhere in life. Work from God has a purpose. And He's going to use your work to glorify Him. And we're going to talk about those two two key steps in just a minute. The next section of Scripture, though, this is what you want. This is what everybody in the room wants. We want the next section. Look at this. This is what I've observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is the gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. This is what we want. This is what we want right here. That God puts his hand of favor on your work. That God puts his hand of favor on your business. That God puts his hand of favor on the skills and the gifts. This is what we want because then we can enjoy our lot in life. And we all have a lot in life. Every single one of us have a sovereign lot in life that he's given unto us. So, So what do we do? How do we go forward? How do we live our lives above the sun and not live our lives below the sun? I have two suggestions this morning, and they are so simple. We we miss them. They're, they're, They're too easy. The first one is called gratitude. The first one is absolutely that you are living a life of incredible gratitude. Because when you change the way you look at things... The things you look at will change. And are you grateful? Are you grateful for the skills that he's given to you? I mean, some of you in this room, you're teachers. And you have the incredible opportunity. If you're a kindergarten teacher, I got off on the wrong foot in kindergarten. I bless her heart. I mean, I, I, just, I mean, if you're a kindergarten teacher and you can take a little boy that can't sit still for more than about eight seconds, I mean, think about the gift that you are to, to society, okay? I'm a, I'm a miracle is what I am. My mother's prayers have been answered. If, if, you, if you cut grass and you make lawns beautiful and you get more business because you do a great job and you, you then have money and resources for not just yourself but for your family, for your church, for your, your parents or whoever, think about that. If you're a nurse, and somebody's about to have surgery, and somebody's scared in the hospital, and you're a nurse, and you're able to comfort somebody. On our trip to Israel, one of the guys that I didn't know real well until the trip was a cardiologist. And I asked Todd on, on one of our walks, I said, do you like what you do? So I love what I do. And he's able to pray with his patients. He's able to pour into his patients. He's able to make a difference. Imagine where God's placed you and what you get to do in life. Are you grateful? Gratitude will grow you. Gratitude will change you. Gratitude will always move you further down the road. And people who are ungrateful, they stay stuck. They stay stuck. 
So we get back Friday from um, Israel. It's kind of a long, it's not kind of, it's a long flight back. It's about 12 hours from Tel Aviv to JFK, and it's about two and a half hours from JFK back to Tampa. And so I, I got back Friday, and then Saturday I have a wedding. Okay, I had a great wedding. It was fun. After the wedding, um, I went to my, you know, I hadn't had a Starbucks green tea in 11 days, and I needed a fix. I mean, I was, I was vibrating without that green tea for 11 days. And so uh, I go to the Starbucks, and um, I, I, I walk in, and, and there's, there's this Jewish guy there. And this Jewish guy is a retired dentist, and I tried to get to know him like six months ago, and, and the guy doesn't want to talk. He just has his iPad, he's just sitting there, his iPad, and he's holding his cards really close to him, and he's just doing his thing. And so what happened uh, at the same Starbucks is there's a lady there that's special needs, and she walks everywhere she goes, and she's slow, and she doesn't connect the dots. And um, a bunch of us guys there, there's like four other guys at the same Starbucks, and whenever she's in line, we get like right behind her, and we tell the barista, I got it, I got it. There's, I'm not the only one. There's like four other guys that do this, and she gets a bagel and a coffee every time. She gets her bagel and a coffee, and when one of us gets it, I mean, she doesn't say thank you. She has no clue. She thinks it's free day at Starbucks, Okay. <laughs> And that's fine. That's cool. We're, I'm good with that. So, so one day, about six months ago, I, I'm sitting down, and um, she walks in, and this retired Jewish gentleman has got his iPad saving a nice chair. There are, there are no other chairs available. And so she comes over, not really realizing that the chair is saved. And she takes the iPad up, and she sets it on the coffee table, and she sits down and she's happy. He gets his coffee, and he's unhappy when he sees that she's sitting in his chair. And he proceeds then to have an encounter with her that she's not going to get. She's not going to understand it, and he doesn't know her condition. I jump up, try to defuse the situation, and I said, you know, I'm getting ready to leave. Ah, That's a lie. I just didn't want to fight. I said, I'm getting ready to leave. You can have my seat. Take my seat. He said, oh, Okay. About a month goes by, and he and I are back at the same Starbucks at the same time, and he came up to me, and as I'm walking in the line, he said, "Um, I want to thank you for what happened with so-and-so. I didn't understand. I didn't mean to to cause a problem. He said, can I I buy you a coffee? And I've been trying to talk to this Jewish guy now for about five months. And I thought, well, yeah, great. We're going to have a great conversation. He buys me a green tea, and that was it. (laughs) <laughs> no conversation whatsoever. Uh, well, okay. So, so yesterday, come back from Israel, do the wedding, stop by to get my fix, and um, I sat down while they're, they're fixing my unsweet green tea, and I said, um, called him by name, and I said, um, I'm pretty sure you're Jewish. He said, I am. And I said, well, I just got back from Israel. He said, I love your land, beautiful land. Gorgeous, gorgeous experience. I said, were you born there? He said, just missed it. Pregnant on the way here. Mom and dad moved. My parents, he said, mom and dad. So my parents moved to to New New York, and he went to Hebrew schools. He speaks fluent Hebrew. Uh, Went as a retired dentist. And uh, I said, well, I I I just want you to know that um, my wife and I and and 31 people from our church were there. And again, I said, "We, we went to some great places. Where'd you go? 
I thought, we might be having a conversation. <laughs> I don't know. And, and I said, well, we went up to the Golan Heights. We're at the, you know, the, Red, we're at the Sea of Galilee. We're at the Dead Sea. We're at you know, Nazareth, Capernaum. And I started mentioning all these different places. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm very familiar with that. And he started talking about all these different ne- uh, nephews and nieces that were in the Israeli army, and one lost an eye and, and one lost an arm. He just he starts, he starts to talk. And he said, um, now, now, you have a parish, right? And I said, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor at Church in Safety Harbor. He said, well, what, what do you do? I said, well, I, I, I just finished a, you know, a, a wedding a few minutes ago. Do you do funerals? I, actually, I do. And um, he said, well, so I started telling him about like Operation Christmas Child and how we were getting ready to do the shoe boxes. And I started telling him about how we, we do a Project Primavera, which are at-risk teens. And, and I started talking to him about our children, how many children we have on Sunday and how we're pouring into them and vacation Bible school and our student ministries. And, and he said, um, do, you, do you ever teach from the Old Testament? I said, as a matter of fact, I'm going to do the book of Ecclesiastes tomorrow. You teach on King Solomon? I said, we, we do. Now, it wasn't the place to tell him that the Old Testament leads you to the Messiah. It wasn't the place to do that, okay? We're just barely having a conversation. But I said, yes, and we, I do. And, and then I said to him, I said, again, I want you to know how grateful how grateful we are for your heritage, how grateful we are for your Torah, first five books of the Old Testament, how grateful we are for your 39 books of your Old Testament. I said, we are so grateful. Thank you. And I said to him, I said, now look, doors weren't opened, maybe a window, just a window. Doors were not open. But I ended the conversation by saying with him, you know what, I would really like to understand more about the Sabbat, your, your Sabbath, and I would like to understand more. And he said, well, he said, you know, I kind of went off the, off the grid. He said, I, I'm not a very religious man. Uh, my parents were orthodox. He said, but I, I didn't really do all that. He said, but I, but I, I understand it all. He said, we, we, we talk again. We, we talk again in the future. See what gratitude did? I've been trying for six months to have a conversation with this guy. Can, can you imagine when you show gratitude for where God's placed you, for what God's given to you, gratitude opens incredible doors. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Now, it works in the inverse order as well. Look at the next statement. It works the other way as well. As long as you complain about your work, you will only attract more people and more material to complain about. It's called the law of attraction. The law of attraction is if you whine, I'm not meddling, I'm talking to you. If you whine and you gripe and you complain about your work, you will only attract more gripers, more whiners, and more complainers. Now, what do you want? Do you want great people around you, gratitude people, or do you want whiners and complainers? Look at the next, next line. See, but as long as you express gratitude for what you currently have, you will attract more people and more material to be grateful for. Absolutely. Look at what some of these quotes I want to give you. First one is from Steve Harvey. Gratitude is a powerful process. The only way to move to the next level is you must show gratitude for where you are. That's what Steve Harvey says. Listen to what Joyce Meyer writes. She said, complain and remain. Complain and remain. John Mason says this, if you run with the wolves, you will learn to howl. But if you fly with eagles, you will learn how to soar to greater heights. 
Terry Foe says this, the depth of your praise determines the magnitude of your breakthroughs. The depth of your praise determines your, the magnitude. <laughs> We're done with that one. We're done. Okay? That, that's like too deep. The depth of your praise determines the magnitude of your breakthroughs. That's the, that's the first step. Okay? Step number two, this is so simple. This is so, so easy. Add value. Just add value. How can you add value? How can you encourage? How can you embrace? How can you love? How can you care? How can you encourage the people around you? How how do you add value? You see, when you work and you rank resources and you make money, and you have opportunities, you get to add value. Now, sometimes that takes money, and sometimes that just takes encouragement. Well, I'm going to talk about this Israel trip the next couple years, I'm sure. But I want to tell you about my first trip to Israel, which was two years ago. So two and a half years ago, not this past, but two and a half years ago, two couples from our church invite Denise and I to Bonefish. And they invite us to have dinner at Bonefish, And at dinner, one of the men said, would you like to be baptized? Now, that's a weird question to ask an evangelical preacher, you know, would you like to be baptized? And so I said, well, I have been baptized. He said, in the Jordan River? I said, well, you got me there. No, I haven't haven't done that. And so these two families wanted to sponsor us, and they did. And quite frankly, it was on our bucket list someday, but not necessarily two and a half years ago. We said, oh, okay, we'll go. And, and, and the Bible came alive. It went from black and white to color. It went from normal TV to HD. And I just, my greatest regret is I didn't do this 30 years ago. And so two and a half years ago, a couple sponsor us to go and then I taught, remember, I taught on the book of Matthew the entire year. I taught for a whole year. We talked about the book of Matthew. And so I realized that what I really wanted to do was take some of our younger pastors on this trip. And so Because I thought if we can just take some of these younger pastors with us, they'll have 25 or 35 years to be able to teach the Bible better and better and better. And so we were able to take four Four of our younger pastors, four of our younger men also got to go on this trip. Now, here's the whole point. They added value two and a half years ago to Kurt and Danita. Kurt and Danita then have another trip, and we get to take four other pastors. And for the rest of these other four pastors' lives, they're going to be teaching the Scriptures better than they ever had before. This couple couldn't see that. They had no idea what this would do two and a half years ago. And that's the point. You have absolutely no idea the residual effect of all the things that you do when you add value. When you add value, you have no idea how the Holy Spirit's going to pick it up and take it and carry it, and then it will expand far greater than your greatest imagination could ever imagine. That's what we do. We add value. We add value to every person, every environment, every workspace. We add value. That's who we are. We work for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And work is not under the sun. It's not about us. It's not about where we are. What We We work above the sun. There is a means to an end to your work. 
May you get a vision for what God has given to you. Not about your job, about your work. Your work. It has so much value. And so let's be grateful. Let's be filled with gratitude. Let's add value and add value and add value to every person, to every situation, to every event, to every opportunity that we have. That is our lot in life. We have such an incredible opportunity to do that. So Jesus is going through Samaria. He sends the disciples off into town to go buy food, and he sits down by a well. And at the well comes a Samaritan woman, and the Jews and the Samaritans don't talk, and the women and the men don't talk. And Jesus says, will you give me a drink? And she says, what? You're going to put your lips on my cup? There's no way you're asking me this. And Jesus said, if you knew who I am, if you knew what I could give you, you would ask me and I would give you, and you would never have to drink this water. You would drink eternal water for the rest of your life. And she then kind of makes a theological jab at Jesus, and Jesus said, well, go call your husband. And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, well, I know you don't have a husband. You've had five, then you're living with somebody right now. Now, In other words, what you're doing with men's not working. You're still thirsty for men. It's not working. And you're still coming to this well, and you're still trying to drink the water, and this water will never quench your thirst. But I am the Messiah. And I will forever quench your thirst. You will never have to drink again when you come to me. And the woman was so amazed and so overwhelmed that she runs into town and she says, my goodness, I have found the Messiah. He told me everything about my life. And they're going, yeah, that that took a while. And so anyway, she's like, this is an incredible story. And Jesus says these words in John chapter 4. Jesus says these words. He said, guys... You brought back the food, but I'm not hungry because I had something far more valuable to do. Don't you have something more valuable to do? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. Every man, woman in this room, you have a divine destiny. And it's not about you. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So let's finish it. Let's finish well the work that he's called you to do. So I'm going to encourage you to think about this all week long. How do I be grateful? How do I add value? How do I express my gratitude? And how am I going to add value to my context of life? And so I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front at this point. I'm going to ask you to stand at this moment. And here's how I want our prayer time to be this morning. You say, well, I heard what you said, preacher, but I still struggle with gratitude. I don't like my job. Okay, come down front and ask for prayer. Because we've got to have an attitude adjustment, a realignment of your vision. I heard what you said, but I'm not really sure how to add value. Okay, come down front be prayed for, be prayed over, and let someone encourage you to to add value to all the contexts that you are involved in in your life. And so I want to encourage you today to give your life to Christ. I want to encourage you today to live your life above the sun. I want to encourage you. We all have work that you will see your work as a divine opportunity 
to bring him amazing glory. Because whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You are the King of kings and you are the Messiah. And we worship you today and we submit and we surrender our work to you. In your name we pray, amen.